Thank you. Hey, that was uh, such good worship this morning. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read 13 verses this morning. Now, how many of you have ever heard of 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Okay, so a bunch of people. This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. Like if you were to take verses that people have memorized, I think John 3.16, I'm sure, is the most popular verse that ever God so loved the world. He sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's probably the most popular verse. But 1 Corinthians 10.13 is also one of those verses that just about everybody has memorized. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't have it memorized, you should memorize it. I want to just read it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. That is such a powerful verse. And we're going to talk about that. That's going to be our last verse that we talk about this morning. It is so powerful. It is so important for every Christian's life. But one of the things that I actually love about popular verses is often we read the popular verses, but we don't really fully understand the context. And it's not that we can't just take the truths in that one verse and we can't think about them and that they don't apply, but they are so much more powerful when you understand it in the whole context in which it was delivered. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's really important that we don't separate, separate that from verse 12. And verse 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So one verse is saying you're never going to face something that you can't handle. God won't let you face anything you can't handle. But the verse right before it says, you better be careful if you think you can survive because you can't. And if you, so when we put those things together, and even more powerfully, when you look at verse 1 through 11, and you think about what is being said there, it just is going to make this so powerful. So we can't separate verses from their context. Um, so I'm going to just tell you, like, this passage, the title is Learning from Examples. This is a passage of examples that we're supposed to learn from. One of the things that Michelle and I did with our kids is we always tried to learn from examples, but we tried to help our kids learn from examples because we don't want to be the people who go make mistakes that everybody else is making and to be the ones that we only learn when we do something dumb. You know, you only learn not to drive too fast around a corner when you slide into a, car, a wall and total your car. Isn't it better if you learn from someone else who totaled their car? And we used to do that when uh, we watched TV shows. Um, sometimes we'd watch TV shows, and when we were watching those shows, especially if there was any reality shows that we watched or whatever, we would talk about relationally what was happening. Uh, this is what God says. These are the principles that God says in life. Like even one pride goes before the fall. And there's times that we would watch Survivor and then in tribal council, and there would be somebody walking into tribal council that would say, oh, I got this all under control, and, and, I, and, and I'm going to win this thing. And then they'd go, and they were the ones voted out. And we used to say to our kids, um, pride goes before the fall, right? You see how that worked out? And sometimes this, in the show, they'd be showing that. And we would say, hey, that person's really prideful. How do you think this is going to turn out? And then later we'd watch. And so we have done that with TV shows. We've done that with people in life. We've done that with family members where we'll say, hey, this is what God says. We need to pray for this family member. Do you see the way that they're living in a sinful way? We should be praying for them. And, and our kids have been able to, to watch their friends, people at school, family members, and to view everything through the context and through what God says about life. And to be able to tell our kids, when you honor and obey God, this is how things go. Sometimes we suffer, but honoring and obeying God is always the best thing to do. And so God actually intends for us to learn as we look at life around us. In fact, there's a proverb that says, if you strike a scoffer, so the scoffer is this fool, this person that just won't learn. If you punish him, he won't learn, but the naive will learn. 
There are some people who they never learn, but they are a living lesson for everybody else who's watching that just says, don't do that. And in Proverbs, that goes on to say, but when you rebuke a wise man, he will learn. He will grow in wisdom. And so we need to be people who learn from what we see in life. And there is no better thing to learn from than what Scripture says. Because God is describing history. He's telling stories. And he's, God has left out so many things of the Bible. Like there are so many things in history that are not recorded. Every single thing that God put in the Bible is an absolute necessity for us. We need to read it. We need to think about it. And God intends that we learn from it. And so I'll just say this. I've said this over and over. If you are a Christian, one of the greatest gifts that you give yourself, actually, let me rephrase that. Even if you're not a Christian, one of the greatest gifts that you could give yourself is to just start reading the Bible in the beginning and read it to the end. And then when you're done, start over. Um, that, that will be such an incredible blessing in your life. And so we're going to dive in here, and uh, we're going to learn. I'm going to just start by reading this passage, and we're going to see three important things. Uh, Paul's going to emphasize that there are people who have spiritual advantages, and he's going to list some of those. Israel had spiritual advantages that other people didn't have. And then he's going to list these five deadly sins that Israel ends up falling into that they should not have. And then God's going to talk about his supernatural protection and the way that he blesses and protects people who are his children. So let's read this passage. Um, and uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, we'll read the last verse of chapter 9, and then we'll read the 13 verses. But he just says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's interesting that Paul is saying, I need to discipline myself so that I don't make these mistakes that Israel made. And then he's going to talk about what these things are. And he just says, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Man, amazing spiritual blessings. I mean, the things he just mentioned there, <laughs> man, we wish we could be there for those things. They are, they're just some of the most amazing stories in the Bible. Then he goes on, and he says, nevertheless, there's a warning with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He says something really important here. He says, now these things took place as examples for us. And this is what we're supposed to learn, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters if some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by servants, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So their advantages we see, the way they missed taking the advantage of, the, of those advantages, we see that in Scripture too. And then Paul has this really powerful thing to say to all of us. And he just says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, anyone, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Man, this passage is so important. It's something that every single one of us needs in our life. I, I don't think there's a week that goes by 
that I don't think about 1 Corinthians 13, that I don't talk uh, 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that I don't talk to somebody about it. Like this is something that we live with all the time that we need to think about. And so as we jump in here, let's just consider this thing. We're going to see some important blessings that Israel had. And you'll notice it says everybody. Everybody had these blessings. You know, everybody in Israel had these blessings. Everybody in these stories had these blessings. But not everybody in the world had these blessings. Not everybody was an Israelite. Not everybody had God's word. Not everybody had supernatural guidance and care. So that is actually not true of everyone. It was true of this group of people. And so one of the things that we need to do is we need to recognize and embrace the spiritual privilege that God has given us. As we think about this, in in one sense, you didn't live through this, but if you have read these stories, you have been privileged. You didn't have to live through it, but you are privileged to be able to learn from it. And we're going to see that God's guidance, God's protection, God's leadership, and God's provision. I don't know, when I think about it, I have all of those things in my life. You know, when it says that, um, I don't want you to be unaware, but all the fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Let's just think about under the cloud. You guys remember the story. Now, this I just want to say this. Paul just bullet points all these stories, like to take like whole chapters and multiple chapters in the Old Testament. And his, his assumption is that he can just say a phrase and you will know the story, that you have thought it through, that you will learn the lessons from it. Um, As you study and read the New Testament, you can't know it and understand it and learn the things that you're supposed to learn if you are unfamiliar with the Old Testament. Um, This doesn't just happen in this passage. It happens everywhere. And so Paul's assumption is that everybody he's writing to knows these stories. And he's not talking to a Gentile church or to a Jewish church, right? He's talking to the people who got saved out of Corinth, people who didn't grow up in Jewish homes. But he's assuming that they will be familiar, that they have studied, that they have read the Bible. And so one of the things that we see is God guided Israel. Remember, they're leaving Egypt, and there's this cloud that guided him during the day and a pillar of fire by night. In fact, it says, you know, you think about this. We often don't think about this stuff, but if you're a backpacker, you know that one of the things you think about is when the sun's coming up and when the sun's going down. And it's important that you get where you're going and that you can set your tent up and take care of all your stuff before it gets dark. Because even if you have a headlamp or something, it's way harder when it's dark outside. And uh, we don't, we're not used to living in that. But you know, for Israel, uh, God led them uh, with a cloud during the day and at night he led them with a pillar of fire. And it actually says, so that they would be able to see even when it was dark, so they could travel day or night. God was guiding them. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if God was that obviously guiding you? Lord, should I buy this house? Should I move to this town? Like if there was this little thing, it was just like follow it wherever it goes. What school should I go to? Well, I don't know. Let's just follow that thing and see what school it takes me to. God obviously led them. Man, they had supernatural guidance. They were all under the cloud. You know, the cloud was God's presence. Uh, He was actually there with them. They all passed through the sea. You remember when Israel was, was leaving, um, uh, when he was leaving, uh, when Israel was leaving Egypt? This is, they're, they're not sure where uh, Israel crossed the Red Sea. This is one of the possible places. And it just says that God opened up the waters, that they crossed on dry land. I've heard people say it was just like a little trickle of water that they walked through. And, and then I heard somebody else say, well, then there's an even greater miracle. How'd, how'd God dry, uh, drown all the, the uh, armies of Egypt in a little trickle, you know? But no, there was plenty of water there. There's a wall of water on each side, and Israel crosses through. And then the cloud goes over, confuses them, makes the wheels on their chariots wobble. And, and Egypt says, as they're going through the sea, they say, God is fighting for Israel against us. And then it says that 
once they all got into the sea that it just closed on them, drowned every single one of them, in one moment God destroyed the army of Egypt. Israel had God's supernatural protection. You ever sensed God's guidance in your life? Have you ever sensed God's protection? Well, Paul's saying that they had it, didn't benefit from it. What about spiritual leadership? It says they were all baptized into Moses. You know, uh, being baptized into Moses just means that they had an association with Moses. He was their leader. They were God's people. He was God's leader. They had this connection. God gave them an amazing leader. But what's crazy is, you know, the Jews in Jesus' day said, oh, we're sons of, you know, they, they, like, they, they, they wanted to sit in the seat of Moses, you know, to be the teacher. They wanted to identify with Moses. And, and these were spiritually corrupt people. When you look at the nation of Israel, like, they're all looking back at what a great leader Moses was. But nobody appreciated him when he was there leading. Like one of the things as you read all the stories as he's a, read, as he's a leader, like after he's dead, they thought it was great. But at the time, they wanted to kill him. Like several times, they wanted to stone him. And they're complaining, Moses, why'd you take us out of Egypt? We'll get to that later. But, but they were just this constant grief for Moses. But he's just saying, man, you guys were blessed with an amazing leader. Um, have you ever had spiritual leadership and guidance in your life? You ever had uh, Sunday school teachers? Did you grow up in a home with parents that loved you, prayed for you, taught you things? Have you ever been in a place where people read the Bible and explain it to you? And what an incredible blessing. But, you know, often people don't end up benefiting. I was thinking about Jonathan Edwards. So if you go to Jonathan Edwards' church in Israel, he's this famous guy who wrote all kinds of stuff, this, this preacher from a long time ago. And uh, it's funny, if you go to his church, they have a monument built to him. But you want to know what's funny? <laughs> that church fired him. <laughs> like, they fired him, you know, toward the end of his ministry. Been there for 20 years. They end up firing him, and now they're building a monument <laughs> to claim him. Um, Often people don't benefit from the late leaders that God puts in their life. What about provision? You know, the Bible talks about that they all ate the same spiritual food. Like, that's manna. So God takes Israel, and when you think about the barren land, like I want to just throw this slide up again. Think about that barren land. Think about the million, like a massive amount of people. Where do you get food and water to, to give the animals water? How do, you, how do you eat? How do you survive wandering around in a barren desert land? Like that is amazing. Somebody calculated it out, how many rail cars it would take that they would eat every day and to, and to have enough stuff for them. So when they're wandering around out in the desert, God fed them miraculously. Um, how many of you guys like bread? I mean, I'm trying to get it out of my diet, you know, because I got a weight problem. And so I'm trying not to eat, you know, I'm trying not to eat bread. But, man, I love bread, especially those Hawaiian rolls that are kind of, they're kind of light and they're really sweet. And it's like, man, we bought those when people are coming over, a big bag of them. And I'm trying not to eat them all before the guests get there. God causes this sweet, fluffy bread to just fall. And people go out every day and they gather up that bread and they eat it. God's supernatural provision. And they needed water too, right? At one point they're, they're complaining to Moses saying we need water. And God tells them go speak to the rock. And instead he strikes the rock. But water comes out. And this water, um, they, they're, able to, uh, they're able to drink water. This water just comes out of a rock. So this is not miraculous water. This is like other kind of water. But you could see some water coming out of a rock. But you want to know something? God supernaturally gave them the water that they needed. They, they had God's miraculous provision. Have you ever in your life had a need that you know God met? I remember when our family was young, we had this car that was like falling apart. 
And uh, just like I replaced the transmission every year. I decided I'm never going to buy that brand of vehicle again. But one time we're, we're, we're in a parking lot. We got Jessica and Julianne in there. And I go to shut the door of this van sliding door. And it just falls off in the parking lot. <laughs> and I'm just like, ah. So I just pick the door up. And I kind of stick it in the van sideways. And we got our two little kids in the car seats now with like this big open thing <laughs> and this door sticking in the side of the van. And I'm driving it home. And I'm just like, man, this, this just doesn't work. And, and the cars that pulled up next to us and did like the double take. And I just remember praying, Lord, we, we, we can't even afford to replace the transmission when it goes out. I don't know what we're going to do about dealing with this vehicle that keeps breaking down. And we just prayed about it, and we actually never told anybody about it. And within a couple weeks, God provides for us to get a different vehicle. And it was just like, it was miraculous. Have you ever had something like that in your life where you had a need and you prayed about it and God met it? That's amazing. That is what the Israelites experienced. Uh, the crazy thing about the rock, <laughs> let's make a side comment. Israel frustrated Moses and Aaron so much. And uh, as Moses was praying for them, God wanted to wipe out Israel. He's like, I'm going to kill everybody. And Moses is praying, God, please don't wipe them out. And he's pleading for them. And the gift that these people gave Moses and Aaron was to aggravate them to the point that when they got the, the water for the people, they did it in a way that was irreverent toward God. And God says to Moses and Aaron, both of them, you don't get to go into the promised land because I told you to do something. And before the people, you didn't treat me as holy. And so because they didn't treat them as holy, because Moses and Aaron sinned, you read about them going into the promised land and it talks about how God killed Aaron. Like, you know, not out of discipline. He's like, okay, your life's over. You're going to come to heaven. I mean, it was a gift. You know, when God takes somebody's life, that's not, that's not a tragedy if you're a child of God. And it wasn't a tragedy for Aaron. But Aaron dies, doesn't get to go into the promised land. And God says, it's because you didn't treat me holy like I was holy. And Moses, he says, Moses, I'm going to take you to the top of a mountain. And you get to look into the land and see where Israel's going. But you don't get to go because you didn't have a reverence for me in this. It's like, thank you, Israel. The guy who loves you and cares about you, you are so aggravating that he is irreverent toward God and doesn't get to go into the promised land. And so Paul's just talking about the Israelites, and he's saying they all had these amazing spiritual blessings, and they should have learned from them, but they didn't. Um, I just want to ask us to think through, um, you know, the Bible does tell us this. It says, it says that... Uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And, and it's easy for us to think about somebody else, but I just want to ask you, um, what has God taught you? What are you aware of? Who are the people that have blessed you, prayed for you, invested in your life? Um, do you respond rightly to the things you read in the Word? Do you respond rightly when you have a Christian friend who cares about you and comes and talks to you about an issue that they see in your life? Do you, do you respond rightly to that? Are you thankful for that? When you have the spiritual privilege of potentially having a mom and a dad that love you. Like I think about this often. I've seen kids who grow up in Christian homes with a mom and a dad that love them, that are pleading with them, that are encouraging them, that are trying to train them. And those kids kind of blow their parents off. Um, that's, by the way, one of the things as parents that we need to teach our kids is to not disregard the spiritual advantages and the blessings that God gives us. And actually having parents that are involved in life is an incredible blessing. Having relatives that are Christians that speak into your life, being in a church or a Bible study where God's word is taught, what an incredible blessing. Are you taking advantage of those things? Um, the, Jesus just says that, uh, Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Um, we got to be careful. That's one of the, 
So it, it's an amazing blessing for me to have gone to seminary and to have a job of studying and teaching the Bible. I mean, who gets, who gets, a, who gets to have a job like that? But think about the massive amount of accountability that there is for me because I know all this stuff. So I'm actually supposed to do it. And I thought about that, that, that uh, when I was growing up and I thought about my kids or just other people that I've been ministering to, and I've just thought about, you know, when that person sins or does something, it's actually not as bad as when I do the same thing because I know more. I've been blessed with more. And, and I want to ask you not just for you to think about me and the great accountability I should have, but for you to think about yourself, what spiritual blessings have you received? And are you living up to those things? So the first thing is we got to recognize spiritual blessing when we see it. The second thing is that we need to guard against five deadly sins. Because every single one of these sins is deadly. You know, often we think about the Old Testament and there's people who have this bizarre understanding of the Old Testament, like that God was different in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's like, I don't know how people come up, to that, come up with that concept. I don't want to read these stories about God's judgment and God killing people and drowning the world and Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't want to hear about all that stuff because that's not what God's like today. I'm just like, really? Did you read your Bible? where it says where God of himself says, I, the Lord, don't change. Or in James 1.17, which says, with God there is no variation and no shifting shadow. When you read a story in the Old Testament and it troubles you, <laughs> you need to adjust the way you think about life. You know what Paul doesn't say in this passage? He doesn't list all these things about what God did and say, but don't worry about that. That was the wrathful God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God's a God of love. That is not what Paul says here. He says these things were written for your instruction. These things were written as an example for you. Why? So that you would learn the stuff that they were supposed to learn. The Old Testament is full of God's grace, love, mercy, forgiveness. And that has not changed. The New Testament is not a book of love and grace and, and mercy and forgiveness. The Old Testament is a book of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Where Manasseh, the most wicked king in Israel, gets deported. And while he's in prison, he repents. And God takes him out of prison and restores him to the leadership of Israel. Um, the way God forgave David when he confessed his sin. And he says, hey, you're supposed to die, but you're not going to die. And then he just tells him, but you will suffer for the rest of your life as discipline for what you did. And then in the rest of David's life, his kids are trying to kill him. His kids are trying to take his wives. And David can know what they're doing is sinful. But God's allowing this as discipline because I sinned. And you want to know something? That is not just true in the Old Testament. God doesn't change. When we read about God drowning people and all the things that have happened in the Old Testament, we also see not just God's love and mercy, we see his holiness. And God's holiness has not changed. And as believers, we need to live our lives with a reverence for God. So often people have not read and have not thought about things and they live their lives with carelessness. They don't care what's right. They just wander into sin. If you, for some people, you can open up the Bible and you could say, right here, this is what God says you're supposed to do. And they go, no, I ain't doing that. And they just disregard it. They don't have any thought of disregarding what the Bible says. Like when the Bible says return good for evil and you go to a married, a married couple who's struggling where one of the spouses is really angry with the other spouse and then you say to them, hey, look right here. The Bible says return good for evil. And they just go, no, I'm ticked. I'm not doing that. You know, if you're a person that reads the Bible, you would never respond that way. When your spouse is being a jerk to you, you would respond with love toward them. And there are so many people 
that ignore what God says and they don't live with the reverence in their life. You know, even the things God calls parents to do with their kids. So many parents are ignoring training and teaching their kids. You know, Ephesians, uh, you know, chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, which just says that we are to raise our children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. And often we think about everything except our kids' spiritual growth. But if you have a reverence for God, you will not do that. And there are so many people that don't take seriously what God says. And so Paul's just going to give an example. <laughs> okay, you should have seen the spiritual privilege. But now let me tell you some other stuff that had happened in the Old Testament that you are supposed to take into account in your own life. It says in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You know, God tells Israel, he says, hey, go into the promised land. And hey, let's take a vote. Let's get the elders of Israel together. We got 12 tribes. Let's get the one guy from each tribe that's in charge. And let's have a vote. What should we do? And it's 10 against two. Two say, let's go in. Let's trust God. He's great. There are 10 that say, let's not go. There's giants over there, and they're really strong. And, and that's one of the crazy things. Sometimes people, it's like they think life is a popularity contest. No, it isn't. Um, what does the Bible say? And if anybody points it out, we should do what it says. We don't just go, well, most people disagree. Who cares? And so what does God say when Israel responds that way? He says, okay, every single person over 20 is going to die in the wilderness. God kills everybody that was over 20. He says, you're going to wander around. You do the math, and over the years that they were wandering, like there were thousands of people that died every single day, and, and every time they buried just masses of people, they're like, yeah, it's because we disobeyed. It's because we disobeyed. It's because we disobeyed. It's because we disobeyed. Oh, no, God's loving and gracious and merciful. No, he told Aaron and Moses, you don't get to go into the promised land because you didn't treat me with reverence. So let's read this. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us. <laughs> he doesn't say that's the Old Testament God. But the New Testament God, he's a God of love. That is not what he says. He says, read that. Think about it. You're supposed to learn from the stupid things they did. You're supposed to learn about God's character, about how he responded when they sinned. You're supposed to learn from that. And this is what he says. What are the lessons? Um, okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is seized except what is common to man. I'm, I'm going to get there early. I'm not supposed to say this yet. You don't face anything that everybody doesn't face. Everybody has a single, oh, this is harder for me, or you don't know what my life is like. And it's not that every single person has gone through the same thing. That is not true. But every one of us faces the same kinds of things. And it didn't just start in our life and in this generation. The same things Israel struggled with, the same things Adam and Eve struggled with, the same thing that all through the Old Testament people have been struggling with, we struggle with. Like, there's not a difference. It's mankind. And so these lessons are things you and I should learn because these are things we all struggle with, right? Okay, now these things took place, verse 6, as examples, that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't desire evil. That is a deadly sin. Um, don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We need to guard against idolatry. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Um, we should not be sexually immoral. That includes our behavior, but it also includes our thinking. That includes the Internet. Um, we are not to be sexually immoral people. Um, we must not put Christ to the test 
as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. The other day I was talking about tattoos and how if you have a, ba- if you have a tattoo, you're not a bad person. <laughs> Even though I was like kind of using that that way. Well, my son has a tattoo of this snake on his arm. Not that that matters, but um, verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, craving evil things. You ever thought about that? You ever look at, at things in your life and you have desires for things that God says are wrong? Um, that's, that's lust. That's coveting somebody else's wife. It's coveting somebody else's things. It's, feeling, it's having a desire. Have you ever thought, man, I grew up in a Christian home. I was spared from all this sin. And you look around at all these people who are sinning. It just seems like they're having so much fun. And you kind of wish you could have that. Or you want something that God gave someone else. You ever craved evil? Things that you have this desire for that you know are wrong? Like I, I've seen people like show up to youth group or show up to church and they pray for things that are sinful. Like this would happen in youth group all the time where some kid wanted to date some other kid who wasn't a believer. He, they claimed to be a Christian. This other person claimed is not a Christian. And they're praying, Lord, I really want to have a relationship with that person. It's like, no, that's a sin. And you're craving that. Um, so people who crave evil, evil things. You know, I think about Joseph, right? Joseph in Egypt, Potiphar's wife throws herself at him. And he just says, man, your husband has put me in charge of everything. And the only thing he's withheld from me is you. How could I do this terrible sin and have an affair with you? That would dishonor God. If in Joseph's heart he was lusting and desiring and wanting something that shouldn't have been his. And by the way, the Bible says that she was going after him day after day. Um, Do you think he would have responded rightly to that temptation if he had this desire for evil things it's one of the things i think about regarding the internet if you're blowing it on the internet and you're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at that is cultivating a desire for evil now what's going to happen when you're traveling by yourself and there's nobody around and all of a sudden an opportunity presents itself you're going to say no to that I mean, you don't say no when you're sitting at home by yourself and there's nobody else in the room and you're looking at your computer. You don't say no then. You're going to say no later? Um, The bottom line is that we are not to desire evil things. And it's not just that issue. It's all kinds of issues. We don't desire evil. Um, There were some severe consequences for them craving evil. Um, Idolatry. Um, That's an interesting thing. Exodus 32, the people rose up to play. That's a story of the golden calf. You guys ever heard that story? This this is a calf that was built by some Canaanites um, that was discovered right around the time that this story's talking about. So this is the kinds of things that they were making. This is not a golden calf. This is, I think it's brass or something like that. Um, But that's kind of the type of thing they may have made. And uh, it's interesting because Moses is actually up getting the Ten Commandments. And all the people, it's like Moses takes too long and they're afraid maybe he died. And so they go to Aaron and they say, hey, we want to worship. And so Aaron makes this golden calf. He says, bring me all your jewelry. So they bring him all the gold and all the jewelry. He makes this golden calf. And then everybody starts worshiping this golden calf. And we can get into all the details of that. There's some interesting things. So we'll do that when we teach on that passage specifically. But basically, they're, they're performing idolatry. God sends Moses down. Remember, he drops the first Ten Commandments, and they all break, and then God has to give it to him again. Well, this is when that happens. And when Moses gets down there, he says, who's on the side of God? And all the Levites come over to him. 
And then he says, get a sword, strap it on. Everybody's partying. They're all having fun. They're having a great time. He says, grab your sword, run through the crowd, and just hack everybody to death that is anywhere near you. If it's your brother, hack him to death. If it is your friend, hack him to death. He just gets all the Levites and he says, run through this party and just start killing people. Like, that's what happens here. And do you think that would uh, put a damper on the party? (laughs) It did. Um, You know, Colossians 3 want to just point this out to you. We don't think we struggle with idolatry. <laughs> like, I, I've often thought when I've read stories of Israel, I don't get it. Like, the last time I went into the Thai food restaurant and they had this little golden Buddha, <laughs> I didn't have to say, oh, don't bow down to it. D- don't bow down to it. You know, like, I didn't have to fight that. Like, I've never seen an idol anywhere and had this intense desire to bow down to an idol. Like, I just haven't done that. I'm like, what's with Israel? Why do they do that? Why, what's, what am I missing about what, why this is such a great temptation? I do want to throw this out there. Sexual immorality was always also a part of idol worship. So that was part of what was pulling them into this. But this is what it says in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil evil desire, and covetousness, which another translation for that is greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You know, that is written to New Testament believers, the wrath of God. And how do we understand the wrath of God? We just read the Old Testament. We, we read even the New Testament. That's how we understand it. Sexual immorality. You know, that was another one. Uh, so some people associate this sexual immorality with that same story um, of that idol worship in Israel, Deuteronomy 32, or I'm sorry, Exodus 32. But I think that it's probably referring to a story that happens in Numbers 25. So the, this whole sexual immorality thing. Um, you guys have all heard the story of Balaam and the talking donkey, right? Okay, so Balaam is summoned to curse Israel. And God says, if you go, I'm going to kill you. So I'm not going to tell the whole story. Hopefully you remember it. Um, Balaam actually gets up there and he says to Balak, I can't curse Israel. I can only say what God tells me to say. So he stands there. <laughs> And he can't curse them. And then the king's like, okay, let's try a different mountain. Maybe you'll be able to curse them from a different mountain. And all these different times you're trying to curse Israel. And he can't do it. Revelation chapter 2, 4, and also Numbers chapter, I think it's 20, I can't remember for sure. I think it's 26. Um, But um, it actually says that, here's what Balaam does. He goes to Balak and he says, I can't curse Israel. But you want them to be punished, let me help you with that. Israel struggles with idolatry. They struggle with sexual immorality. So if you'll just send out a bunch of prostitutes to Israel where they're in this valley, they'll get involved in sexual immorality and idolatry, and then you won't have to curse them because God will punish them. You ever think about 1 Thessalonians 4 where it talks about uh, sexual purity and it says whoever is disregarding this whole thing about sexual purity is not disregarding men. They are disregarding God who is the avenger in these things. And um, so so Israel goes out there and God actually kills, it says, 24,000 people because of that. Um, The most brutal battle in American history was in the Civil War and a a few less than 23,000 people were killed. Um, God kills 20, uh, and then the New Testament talking about this says 23,000 fell in one day and everybody's like, oh, there's a problem. The Old Testament says 24,000 people were killed. New Testament says 23,000 in one day. If, if we didn't believe in inspiration, we would just go, oh, yeah, somebody made a mistake, the numbers don't match, whatever. But we do believe in inspiration. We do believe everything in the Bible has to be perfect. But this is not a confusing problem to solve because you have leaders, that they're killing leaders first. So they may have killed 1,000 leaders, and then the next day 23,000 people died. 
The Old Testament just says 24,000 people died. The New Testament says 23,000 people died in one day. So it could have been that more people died on a different day. That's not a confusing thing. Um, but a lot of people struggle with that. So sexual immorality, do we struggle with that in our culture in our day? Okay, we'll leave that there. Um, complaining. You ever complain? Um, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. So Israel's complaining about the manna. They're saying, in Egypt, it was really cool. It was very beautiful in Egypt. So there's a little picture of Egypt. Egypt was really fertile. God, you were so good when we were there. It was so nice when we had vegetables to eat. We could eat meat. Now we're stuck out here in the desert, and all we get is this manna. I can't stand it. It's terrible. They start complaining about the way God was providing for them. Um, you ever complain about something in your life? You ever complain about your spouse? I don't know why did I get stuck with this person? You ever complain about your car? You ever complain about your job? You ever complain about your church? You ever complain about anything? I used to tell kids, they'd come to me and they're like, man, that family's so much better. Their parents have so much fun. My parents are lame. Why did I get stuck in this family? You know what I used to always tell them? God gave you the exact parents that you need. And that includes what your parents do well, and it also includes what your parents don't do well. God wants you to learn from their failures as well as the things that they do well. And to complain about anything in your life, to complain about your church, to complain about other people, to complain about things that you have. Like, think about this. Every good gift comes from the Father above, James 1.17. Every good gift comes from the Father above with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Everything you have is a gift that God gave you. And when you complain about anything, you are trying the Lord. It's like, what do you do with kids who on Christmas complain about their Christmas gifts? You know, some parents, some parents buy them different stuff. Not in our house. You complain about something we give you, we'll take it away, and you'll be doing chores for the rest of the day on Christmas. What does God do when we complain? Well, he sent serpents to go bite people and kill them. And then he said, make a golden serpent, wrap it around a pole, and when anybody looks at it, um, he'll heal them from the venom of the snakes. And that represented Christ. The same way we look at Christ on the cross, the same way he forgives us of our sin, that's what happened in the Old Testament. Okay, what about grumbling? Nor let us grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, Moses was a great leader for Israel and they grumbled against him and even talked about stoning him. Um, one time the sons of Korah, like they're all worship people and they just say, hey, you know what, Moses, you're not the only one God works through. He works through us too. And Moses just says, okay, we'll let God decide who the leader is. And then um, God just says, yeah, have everybody assemble before me. And so Moses says to everybody, these other leaders, sons of Korah, he says, come assemble over here. And a bunch of them say, no, we ain't coming. You don't tell us where to, where to go and what to do. And then a bunch of other ones came out. And then while they're there, the ground just opens up and they all fall in and then it closes over the top of them. I think God communicated what he thought. And then the people who said, forget you, I'm not going. Fire burned them in their tents. And Moses is like, get away from those people because this is going to happen to you. When Aaron and Miriam complained about Moses, Miriam got leprosy. Remember that? Um, one of the things I was thinking about is sometimes leaders are a challenge. And it can be difficult. I was thinking about David and Saul. So David's anointed as the next king. Saul is a wicked man. He's oppressed by a demon. God has rejected him as the king. And as David's going around, he is loyal to Saul. He confronts him about his sin and all that stuff. He's direct. He says, what you're doing is wrong. All I've done is care about you. But he refuses to raise his hand against the God's anointed. In fact, he cuts off the corner of his robe, and he says his conscience is stricken. And so God's given us a path and an avenue to address 
sinfulness in leaders. Um, but we don't attack leaders. We don't grumble. We don't complain. Um, God killed people for doing that. So now let's jump into the third thing we need to see. We need to recognize our need for and make God and make use of God's protection. And verse 11 just says these things were happened as examples and they were written for our instruction. You know what we need to do is just read the Bible. Read the Bible and learn from it. That's one of the greatest gifts God's given you. You want the greatest gift you give your kids? I mean, all the stuff we do, the greatest gift that you give your kids is to read them the Bible and help them see it and understand it and help them see how it works out in life. That's more important than where your kids go to school. It is more important than their sports. It is more important than anything else in their life. So God's given us these examples we learn for. Uh, verse 12, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So if you think you can sin and God won't care, that is a terrible mistake. If you think you are strong enough to handle temptation, foremost deadly words anybody says, I can handle it. Like <laughs> my youth ministry years are coming out. You say to this kid, you shouldn't be dating an unbeliever. The Bible says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And then the kid will say, but I'm strong. I can handle it. The moment you say you can handle something, you know you're going to fail. Take heed when you stand lest you fall. And then the, thir the, the verse 13, this incredible promise, no temptation has overseeds you that is not common to man. If you ever feel like you're alone, you are not. There's many people going through the same kinds of things that you're going through. When you tell yourself, I'm the only one who's facing this, that's a lie. Um, nobody faces something that's not common. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You ever, have you ever faced a temptation that you felt like was impossible to resist? Well, the Bible says that's not true. Because God limits the force that Satan can apply to you. And he also provides a way out. Anytime anybody sins, it's their fault. And uh, God's always providing for us, caring for us, and making a way out. Um, so I want to tell you something, and this is where we'll close. I want to tell you about Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, he faced temptation. And do you want to know what God didn't do for Jesus? God never limited the temptation that Jesus faced. You and I have a limit on the temptation. Jesus faced the full force of temptation. And that's why in Hebrews when it says that we have a merciful, faithful high priest who knows what it's like to be tempted and comes to our rescue. Jesus loves you and he rescues you and he has made a way for us to live faithfully before the Lord. Let me close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for Jesus, that he loved us, that our sins were nailed to the cross. Lord, that, that even though we never have to fail to temptation, we know that we do. And when we do, that you are there to forgive us, to restore us. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that are repentant, that when we fall short, that we would repent and that we would receive this forgiveness that you give. God, we are so thankful that we don't stand before you based on our own righteousness. We stand before you based on the righteousness of Jesus. And so God, thank you for this encouragement. Help us to be people that are all out committed to honoring you and obeying you, that live life with reverence in your name. Amen.